0: Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind the scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Knife. Uh, We've had such great response from our listeners about the the mock oral reviews that uh, we're creating another one for you here today. We're lucky enough to have uh, Dr. Michael Sable. Um, He's the William Kuhn Collegiate Professor of Surgical Oncology and he's the Chief of the Division of Surgical Oncology um, at the University of Michigan and he has been gracious enough to take out time out of his Monday night to join us and give us some mock oral scenarios for residents all over the country to benefit from. Uh, thank you, Dr. Sable, for joining us in Behind the Knife. Uh, we really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having
2: me.
0: And we also have uh, Justin on the phone. Justin, would you mind uh, introducing yourself?
2: Yeah, sure. My name Justin Hinton. I'm a PGY-5 at The Ohio State University.
0: Awesome. And Justin, are you applying for fellowship?
2: Uh, I'm actually already matched. I'm doing pediatric surgery, and I was fortunate enough to stay here in Columbus and do the fellowship at Nationwide Children's Hospital.
0: So Dr. Sable is a world-renowned expert in uh, melanoma and breast cancer surgery. Um, So I think our topics today will focus around that. I'm going to go first, and then our uh, pediatric surgeon will uh, tackle the last two. Dr. Sable, uh, take it away.
1: Okay. Uh, And you're going first? Yes, sir. All right. So a 52-year-old female uh, is undergoing a screening mammogram, and in the right breast, they notice that she has a new 7-millimeter mass. There are some surrounding calcifications uh, span approximately 1 to 2 centimeters around this mass. So they perform a stereotactic core needle biopsy, and the pathology returns as atypical ductal hyperplasia, or ADH. And she is now sent to you for further management. So uh, what would you do with this patient at this point?
0: Okay. Uh, I would start off with... Uh Starting out with a full uh, history, um, has she had any history of um, any previous breast cancer or, or lesions? Um, does she have any family history of this? Um, when she, you know, I'd risk stratify her for breast cancer based on different classification schemes. Whether you know early menarche, um, when she's gone into menopause. I, I, would, I would start with uh, kind of basic questions such as those. Are any of those pertinent for uh, this conversation?
1: Sure, sure. I'll tell you that she's in good health. Uh, otherwise, she's never had any problems with her breast. She started her screening at age 50, so this is the first time she's ever had an abnormality detected on mammography. Um, she's had no symptoms related to the breast. She's felt nothing on self-examination. Her family history is significant for a paternal aunt who had breast cancer in her 60s, and a maternal grandfather had prostate cancer. Okay. Um, otherwise, her mammogram was negative on the opposite side. There are no other findings other than what I described. Okay.
0: Um, great. So now I'll move to a physical exam um, where I'll perform uh, you know, a brief overall physical, but a focused uh, bilateral breast exam and axillary exam.
1: I'll tell you that that's normal. There's no adenopathy, no masses, no nipple discharge, no pain elicited on examination. Breasts are symmetric, otherwise normal.
0: Okay. Um, At this point, um, you know, I I have no suspicion for uh, metastatic um, or kind of stage 3 breast cancer. Um, So I would just get basic labs, a a CBC and BMP just to have uh, preoperatively, and just a chest x-ray.
1: Okay. Um, her labs all return as normal, and her chest x-ray is normal as well. Okay. Um,
0: and given um, that this is a non-palpable lesion, I'll, I'll counsel her that um, with aty- atypical ductal hyperplasia, um, she's at increased risk for um Invasive breast cancer, and that this could be a sampling error, and that we should get a larger uh, sample. And so I would ask, you know, consent her for an excisional biopsy with a with radiology placing a preoperative uh, wire under the stereotactic guidance, Um, and I would counsel her and consent her for that surgery.
1: Excellent. So uh, she agrees, and you take her to the operating room. You perform a wire localized excisional biopsy. Everything goes well. Your pathology returns a few days later. Uh, unfortunately, this shows an invasive ductal carcinoma. It's about one centimeter in size. There is some surrounding DCIS, and the DCIS is extending to the margins. Okay. What would you recommend at this point for her?
0: So she has a right breast in- invasive carcinoma, mm-hmm. um, non palpable. Um, I-, I think at this point, I. Um, I'm seeing her back in my office the next week looking at the pathology report um, I might get a breast mRI just to see if there's any evidence of this the extent of disease in this breast and compared to her her current breast size the lesion um, um so I think that's um the next step I would do to help determine if um breast conservation therapy is an option for her versus mastectomy
1: okay I will uh I will be kind and tell you that the MRI does not show any other abnormalities other than the post-surgical changes.
0: Okay, and then so I, I need to um, take her back and what um, would I, discuss
1: with the patient at this
0: point. I would discuss that um, she has, you know, we have we have two options. Um, we have uh, breast conservation therapy where she would. Um, we would go and re-excise the area with wide margins and attempt to get, uh, negative margins, um, of about one centimeter. And then she'd have to undergo, uh, radiation therapy postoperatively, or we could undergo a, a mastectomy, um, with a, a sentinel. Both of them would involve a sentinel node. Um, and then, you know, we would be, we wouldn't have to worry about, uh, margins as much in that situation. Uh, so the problem is, is that there's no palpable mass, or and the imaging doesn't really guide us into how much tissue to resect in our uh, breast conservation therapy. So I would think there'd be uh, a reasonably high chance of having uh, a positive margin. Um, but if she's if she's very um, set on attempting breast conservation therapy, we could start with that.
1: Okay, um, she says to you, "Well, my uh, cousin." Uh, I was talking to her once. I got the diagnosis. She says I should have bilateral mastectomies.
0: Um, yeah, um, you know that that is an option um, potentially, um, but this is it wouldn't. It's not typically indicated in her scenario. Um, she's not at a particularly high risk um, for bilateral breast cancer, and that I would recommend uh, just focusing on the single. Um, Sighted surgery at this point in time and with, um, you know, annual uh, screening on, on, the other, on the left.
1: Okay. All right. So she, uh, she likes your demeanor. She agrees with your recommendation. She wants to go for breast conservation. So I think you said you would take her back for a re lumpectomy and a sentinel node biopsy. Yes, sir. So you take her back, um, you perform a reexcision excision lumpectomy uh, and a sentinel node biopsy. The pathology now returns showing that your margins are negative around the uh, DCIS and the cancer. Unfortunately, the sentinel node biopsy, you took out two nodes that were both hot and blue. One of them was positive. It had about three to four millimeters of invasive ductal carcinoma. Okay. Uh, office for a post-op check, and you're giving our pathology report. What would you recommend now?
0: Um, at this point, I, I would recommend... Um, it, and just for, on a side note, ERPR and HER2 status
1: She's, uh ERPR positive, HER2 negative.
0: Okay, so I would tell her those are um, good prognostic uh, factors. But I would recommend for her at this point in time uh, to get an axillary uh, lymph node dissection uh, to clear the um, to stage and clear the disease in her axilla.
1: Okay. Um. Why don't I stop you there, yeah. and we'll talk a little bit about uh, your performance. Okay. All right. So overall, I think you did an excellent job. Um, I think it's very important on every breast patient that you do that thorough history, really looking at the patient's risk factors. Be sure to do a thorough um, family history. Um, it, it may not necessarily change what you're going to do right there but it could change your treatment choices, whether you would recommend genetic testing. Um, So I thought you did a good job on that. I will tell you, I do see certain errors sometimes with residents when they're doing the oral examination in regard to the family history. It's not just enough to sort of ask about a family history. You wanna make sure that you're documenting the ages of the patients when they had their cancer, that you're doing both Mm -hmm. the mother's side and the father's side of the family, Um, and really be cognizant Uh, if a patient has several cancers, about thinking about genetic testing in that situation. But I thought you did a very good job in terms of that initial workup. uh, With the history, you did a good physical examination. Now, um, I was a little bit confused by some of the statements that you made as we were going through. So, for example, you said, well, I don't see any evidence that um, she's stage 3 or stage 4 but I'm going to get labs and a chest x-ray. And at that point, the patient had only had a diagnosis of atypical ductal hyperplasia. So we weren't really talking about cancer at that point. So I think you just sort of let yourself get carried away thinking it was going to be cancer. But I certainly, clinically in this situation, would not routinely order labs or a chest x-ray, to be perfectly honest. I wouldn't have gotten them anywhere in this scenario. I don't typically get routine labs or chest X-ray as staging studies in patients with very early-stage breast cancer. There's not very much data that it's helpful in that situation. It can lead to false positives. I thought you did a great job in recommending that with ADH, you perform an excisional biopsy. Um, You did talk a little bit about her risk, and it's true that if the biopsy came back negative for anything other than ADH, the patient is high risk and would probably need some counseling in terms of that. But I think you were very good in terms of saying she has atypical ductal hyperplasia. This could get upgraded if we did an excisional biopsy. And that would be the standard of care. And this is an area that sometimes uh, residents get fouled up on. Same would be true for other atypical lesions. Although these recommendations are changing right now, again, for the boards, you really want to just stay with the standard of care. Um, I think it's great if you understand that some of these recommendations are are in flux right now, but for the most part, if you have lobular carcinoma in situ, atypical lobular hyperplasia, um, atypical ductal hyperplasia, we do recommend an excisional biopsy to rule out cancer. Several studies show upstaging rates as high as 15% in this situation, although I think they're a little (laughs) over-exaggerated. Okay. Um, So, you did the right thing. You took her back to the operating room for an excisional biopsy. Uh, and it did show, sadly, an invasive cancer, not a surprise given that the mammogram had shown um, a, a mass, which typically a typical ductal hyperplasia wouldn't have a mass. Now, you're talking to the patient now about her breast cancer treatment options. This is an area that residents have a little bit of difficulty with because it's important to remember that breast conservation and mastectomy are equal in outcome. So it's important when you're on the oral examination to just say you would tell the patient they have a choice between these two treatments. There are a lot of residents who sort of say, well, I would do a lumpectomy in this situation. But the patient has an equal choice between a mastectomy versus BCT. And in this situation, that would be a combination of lumpectomy and radiation. I think it's important to make sure that patients are candidates for radiation. One of the areas they like to uh, emphasize on the oral exams are those patients that could not get radiation or are not candidate for breast conservation. This patient is an excellent candidate for breast conservation. And you did that. You gave the patient a choice. You told them that there were two um, choices here. I think the two areas that are not incorrect, um, but I would be careful with, are one, uh, MRI is somewhat controversial for routine cases like this. In fact, many people are against it. It leads to many, many false positives. It increases mastectomy rate, and it hasn't been shown to really be beneficial at sort of identifying patients who are at a higher risk of um, additional disease. I wouldn't get an MRI in this situation. I understand that there are still surgeons who do, and that might be true where you train. So it's not wrong, um, but (laughs) <laughs> I I wouldn't I think, do it in this situation. <laughs> no, I, I
0: I have not seen that necessarily done. I've not actually oh, okay. seen this situation. It was just like you know we hadn't visualized. It, we kind of had discordance with our mammogram. Well, uh, so I that
1: that's the other area that I would disagree with this this scenario that I gave you is probably the most basic breast cancer scenario that we get a small mammographic mass with no palpable lesion, the majority of invasive cancers today with widespread screening, um, are right. non-palpable. And so this is probably the most typical case that the typical general surgeon or breast surgeon is going to see. And you started to expand on, well, because this is not palpable, um, they, they, they maybe has a higher rate of needing a mastectomy. I, I'm not sure where you were going with that. Right. And it... I would say it's probably not true. This is an excellent candidate for breast conservation. But the other thing that I would suggest as a general rule for the oral examinations is not to necessarily throw out more information. You don't have to volunteer more information. (laughs) Um, And when you do, again, it sort of takes you off the tracks a little bit. So in this situation, you had correctly said, this patient is a candidate for breast conservation, meaning she didn't have any contraindications. There weren't widespread microcalcifications. She hasn't had prior radiation to the breast. She isn't pregnant. She doesn't have scleroderma or some other collagen vascular disease that prevents radiation, right? So none of the contraindications. She's a good candidate. There was nothing else on the mammogram. I would keep it simple. I would discuss with the patient patient breast conservation versus a mastectomy. I would let her know that survival is equal. It's her choice. Great. Um, I threw in that her friend had said she should have bilateral mastectomies. I say that because you may or may not be aware that we are seeing an incredible rise in women um, requesting bilateral mastectomies. The bilateral mastectomy rate across the country is increasing. We cannot really identify exactly all of the causes. We have several um, that we've identified, but uh, many patients are coming in today with questions about bilateral mastectomy and claiming that they want it. I think you did a good job in terms of just saying, in this situation, she's not a particularly high risk. Um, and I think it's important to just know bilateral mastectomy, especially in a case like this, does not improve survival. There are, for many patients, reasonable explanations for why they want bilateral mastectomies. Um, but as long as you've done your job as a surgeon in educating patients, this isn't going to improve survival. It doesn't decrease the likelihood of distant disease. Um, it, it's a balanced discussion to have. Uh, but it, it may come up, I thought you handled that quite well. The uh, patient wanted breast conservation, you did the reexcision, excisional ampectomy the sentinel node, and the sentinel node biopsy came back positive. Now, here's where you started to um, deviate a little bit from what is now standard of care, but this requires a little bit of knowledge of some of the recent trials. Now, in breast cancer, there's a lot of trials, things are changing constantly, and Um, it isn't necessarily important for the oral examination to know all of this or to be exactly up to date. But there is one trial that you all should be familiar with, which is the American College of Surgeons Oncology Group Z11 trial because this, several years ago, dramatically changed the way we approach breast cancer. For patients having breast conservation who have a positive sentinel lymph node and they're undergoing standard radiation, We no longer perform the axillary lymph node dissection. So, this is an excellent candidate. She was Z11 eligible, as we would say. She's having a lumpectomy. She had a positive note. These patients no longer get axillary lymph node dissection. Why? Because that trial showed that it had almost minimal impact on axillary recurrence and no impact whatsoever on survival. So, I think when you're preparing for the oral boards, one thing you want to do is just sort of make sure you understand. Z11 eligibility, and which patients no longer need a complete lymph node dissection, and that would be this patient. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. No, I'm glad I could highlight that point for everyone. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think that was was a fantastic review. Uh, Thank you very much.
1: Oh, of course. Oh, one other small thing. I'm sorry. I'm looking at my notes. You had made a comment about you need margins of one centimeter. What did you mean by that? Did you mean grossly or microscopically? Like
0: I was, I was thinking grossly of you know when I'm going to reexcise, um, you know, going at, you know, trying to get at least a centimeter around the what I imagine the disease um, would be, and I guess I guess I have a little bit of a hard time conceptualizing uh, on these redo you know, you had an excisional biopsy and you're doing a redo lumpectomy. And I think that's why part of the reason I was thinking of the MRI is in which directions, and this is not really oral board pertinent, but just in which directions are you re-excising and, and just depending on the size of the breast, you know, that, that could be, you know, disfiguring. Yeah. Um, it seems kind of like a tricky, not a straightforward re-excision sort of case.
1: No, I, so, you know, I, when you talk about that one centimeter, that's usually what we're talking about in terms of gross excision. That's usually when you have a palpable lesion. And what a lot of people recommend is that you try to just stay about a centimeter outside of the palpable lesion. And So usually I would say, okay, the tip of my finger is about a centimeter. So as long as I have my finger on the mass and I'm outside that distance, that should be a good, safe gross margin. I think it's important to distinguish between what we mean by a a gross margin clinically and a microscopic margin because you don't need a centimeter margin microscopically, meaning if you got the pathology report and they said your margin is three, four millimeters, you don't need to go back because that's too close. In fact, the margins are now described as no tumor on ink. As long as you get negative margins, in most cases, that's adequate for DCIS. We usually recommend about a two millimeter margin. And those are new guidelines that have come out recently. But again, one of those situations where throwing out more information um, probably doesn't help and may take you Uh, in the wrong direction when we're performing a re-excision lumpectomy uh the question is which direction do we excise in now that has a lot to do with how you do your original excisional biopsy so whenever you're taking something out of the breast where you suspect there's a possibility of cancer and here you had a suspicion of that it's really good to orient the specimen to place three sutures or clips or however you want to do it um so that you've oriented for the pathologist. And then the pathologist will use a six-color inking system so they can know which margin is anterior, superior, inferior. That way, if you have a closer positive margin, you can go back and just re- go into the cavity, reexcise excise just that margin. Right. If, if you don't orient it, what they do is they just put black ink around the whole thing, and if they say closer positive margins, there's no way to know. So now you have to go back and sort of take out the entire cavity. And there's different ways to do that. You can just stay outside of the cavity. Um, for the entire re-excision, or you can go into the cavity and take all six margins separately. Okay, Justin, you ready? Yep. All right. So a 62-year-old female is referred to your office by her primary care physician for changes in her left breast. The patient states that over the past several days, she's noticed some increased redness and swelling in the left breast. On your examination, that left breast is noticeably larger than the right. It's erythematous, and you notice some dimpling of the skin. There's no mass that you can feel. You can't feel any lymph nodes. The opposite breast is normal, but she does have this redness, this dimpling, this swelling of the breast.
2: What would you like to do? Okay. So I'd certainly be concerned about inflammatory breast cancer, so I would um, want to discuss with her um, a focused history and physical, and specifically ask questions um, that would predispose her her to breast cancer, such as family history, personal history, um, age at uh, menarche, menopause, number of children, um, and any previous mammography or abnormalities or previous biopsies. Uh, So, I'll tell you, she's never had a biopsy of the breast
1: before. She's never had any problem. Uh, She seems to recall a maternal grandmother who she thinks had breast cancer, but probably well into her 70s. She had an uncle who had colon cancer, but other than that, she can't remember anybody else that's had cancer in the family. Um, She's never had any palpable masses or any complaints uh, related to the breast.
2: Okay. Okay. So if I would, you want, I
1: can give you. I can tell you her age of menarche was thirteen. Her first pregnancy was at twenty-two. Um, she had three children, uh, and she is postmenopausal.
2: Okay, great. Um, so then I would perform a bilateral clinical breast exam and um, uh, axillary um, examination in the office.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, and I had briefly mentioned that the breast is larger on the left than it is on the right. Um, It's thickened, the skin, it's erythematous, and it's got these dimples in it. There's no mass that you can feel inside the breast. There's no axillary adenopathy, nor is there any supraclavicular or cervical adenopathy. The
2: opposite breast
1: is of normal contour, no masses, and there's no contralateral
2: adenopathy. Okay. Um, So I would want to start with... um, uh, diagnostic mammography and ultrasound to evaluate to see if there's any underlying mass that we could biopsy um, uh, to determine the, the uh, next stages in her treatment.
1: So you, uh, she goes downstairs for mammography. I'll assume it's downstairs. It's downstairs where I'm at. I don't know if it's downstairs at Ohio State. Um, the mammogram shows skin thickening. Uh, there's dense breast tissue, but they don't see any visible
2: masses within the breast.
1: Uh, and they don't see any enlarged nodes, just thick skin.
2: Okay. Um, So without any underlying obvious mass by imaging or physical exam, I would do a punch uh, skin biopsy of this area of thickening and to include uh, normal skin next to the uh, punch biopsy. And
1: uh, you do that in the office, no problem. Punch comes back, unfortunately showing infiltration of the dermal lymphatics with invasive carcinoma, um, they do okay. same this for ER, PR, and HER2 new, and they're all negative.
2: Okay. Uh, so it sounds like she has um, clinically inflammatory breast cancer that's uh, hormone test negative. So I would refer her for uh, medical oncology for uh, new adjuvant chemotherapy.
1: Okay. Um, so she does go. She sees your medical oncology colleague. And she completes a course of dose-dense, adriamycin, cytoxin, and taxane. Um, she does extremely well with this. And now she returns to your clinic four months later. The erythema is gone. Skin changes have completely resolved. And the breasts are now symmetric. So has had an excellent response to the chemotherapy.
2: Okay, great. So oh, I would... Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, good. Okay, so I would counsel her that, um, as we discussed previously, that the treatment for her inflammatory breast cancer would be multimodal, and the next step would be surgery, and then we, that would be followed by uh, chemotherapy and radiation. Specifically, the surgery would be a modified radical mastectomy. Okay. Um, she says, um,
1: my friend had breast cancer. Uh, And after she had chemotherapy, she did a sentinel lymph node biopsy. Could this patient Uh, have a sentinel lymph lymph node
2: biopsy? uh, No, she cannot. She's not a candidate, unfortunately. I would explain to her that because of her inflammatory breast cancer, the dermal uh, lymphatics were impacted by this. And so a sentinel lymph node would not be accurate in this setting.
1: So, um, very good. I will... Stop you right there, and then we'll talk a little bit about this. This is a common oral board question: the inflammatory breast cancer question. All right, um, and it's one where they try to trip you up a little bit, but nobody should get tripped up on this one. Our approach to inflammatory breast cancer is extremely, um, extremely straightforward. We do induction or neoadjuvant chemotherapy followed by a modified radical mastectomy. Followed by post-mastectomy radiation, Uh, and we very rarely, we never deviate from that. So Mm -hmm. there are patients uh, that, for example, if you had gotten more imaging, I I started to jump into to to try to give you some additional imaging. Um, Not that it mattered, but I was going to try to throw you off. Um, Let's say it shows a 1.5 centimeter mass. Doesn't matter. She's not a breast conservation candidate. Likewise, we have tried sentinel lymph node biopsy in patients who've had inflammatory breast cancer, it's not highly accurate. Um, So we really just do a modified radical mastectomy. So you were completely correct to send the patient for induction chemotherapy. You were completely correct in not deviating from a modified radical mastectomy, and you are correct that we would do post-mastectomy radiation. As I had said before, sometimes throwing out a little extra information can, can send you in the wrong direction. Um, you had stated that she would get more chemotherapy after the modified radical mastectomy, followed by then radiation. We, we don't tend to do that. We tend to give all of the chemotherapy up front.
2: Now, oh, correct. Yeah, sorry. I misspoke, yeah, it's
1: okay. It's no problem. One exception to that is patients getting Herceptin. Uh, so she had been her two new positive and she was getting Herceptin. Herceptin is a year's worth of therapy, so it continues after the surgery. But for the chemotherapy, we tend to do it all up front. We don't give any more. That's not a big deal. There's only um, two things uh, that I would point out for this. The first is, and, and I don't think you're wrong because I think the case was very concerning for inflammatory breast cancer, but sometimes you will see these patients that just have mastitis. And it's not unreasonable if you suspect mastitis to put a patient on a course of antibiotics and, and see if that resolves. The mistake people make is they keep changing the antibiotics and they go further and further trying to treat an infection when it's really an inflammatory breast cancer. So even if you try a course of antibiotics, if they don't respond, it's time to get a biopsy. But you went straight through the biopsy. I don't think there's any problem with that. I think it is important to ask patients. You did a very good job asking about risk factors for breast cancer. I think it's also important to just include, was there any trauma to the breast if you had prior infections? If this was a younger patient, were they breastfeeding? You know, including that sort of history, that physical, that workup, have you had any fever? Could this be mastitis? Let's say there was something in the history that suggested infection. It may be reasonable to start antibiotics. But again, uh, nothing that I would, you know, deduct points for. Okay. The one thing that I would say that was missing, um, which is sort of the opposite of the last case. So for early stage breast cancer, we typically don't recommend staging studies. Even labs, chest x ray, have never really been shown to be terribly effective in changing the surgical management. And we don't certainly recommend getting staging studies in every breast cancer patient. But for patients with either locally advanced breast cancer, so matted nodes, multiple large uh, nodes, either on imaging or on physical examination, locally advanced tumors, and certainly inflammatory breast cancer, do you know where I'm going with this?
2: Yeah, pre-op, or, uh, staging at right. the initial presentation.
1: So this is a patient where you would have wanted to get staging. CAT scan, chest, abdomen, and pelvis, and a bone scan before you sort of commit to a line of therapy. Patient had a good chance that she could have had metastatic disease, and that might have changed more what the medical oncologist would have done. But for the most part, whenever you have either locally advanced breast cancer or inflammatory breast cancer, you want to make sure that you get the appropriate staging studies.
2: Any questions about that? No, I don't think so. I think that was uh, good feedback, and I, I definitely forgot the um, the staging, so I, yeah, I think that was right off. Just a, just a minor um,
1: thing to always think about with those locally advanced cancers, and I would say for anybody who's preparing for the oral examinations, not just thinking about breast cancer, but any oncology-related question, always think about two things that are a little bit different. One, looking for synchronous cancers. So, for example, mammography. And I'm trying to remember, uh, you know, yes, you did get a mammogram on this patient. Uh, we always want to get bilateral mammogram in a breast cancer patient, not just to assess the abnormality or the thing that we're worried about, but also to make sure they don't have a contralateral breast cancer. But the same <laughs> thing is true. The, the, every melanoma patient needs a complete cutaneous examination. Um, every patient with, for instance, a sigmoid colon cancer needs full evaluation of the colon to make sure there isn't a synchronous, Colon cancer. So we always want to rule out that there's not a synchronous cancer because any patient at high risk enough to develop one has a small chance that there could be a synchronous cancer. The second is always um, staging. There are certain cancers for which we routinely stage. There are other cancers that we only really stage in more advanced situations, uh, and and those are the things we need to be familiar with when we do the oral examinations. Sure. Okay. Am I supposed to go on to the next? Y- yes, next sir. Scenario. <laughs> okay. Do you need a break or are you ready? No, I think I'm ready. All right. So a, uh, you have a 44-year-old patient who has been a patient with you for a few years. You had originally treated her for breast cancer four years ago. At that time, you had performed a mastectomy with a sentinel lymph node biopsy. And the pathology back then showed a 1.8-centimeter invasive lobular carcinoma. It was ERPR positive, HER2 negative, negative. And at the time, her sentinel lymph node biopsy was negative. She saw medical oncology afterwards. She decided not to do chemotherapy, but rather anti-estrogen therapy. She was started on tamoxifen. And she's still on year four of tamoxifen at this point. So she's here to see you for a routine follow-up examination. She's going to see you. She just got her mammogram as well. Mammogram of the right breast is completely normal. She has no complaints. But while you're doing her physical examination, you notice a small lump near the center of her prior mastectomy incision. Patient hadn't noticed this before. It's not tender on examination. You estimate it to be about a centimeter and it's slightly fixed. Can you take me through what your evaluation at this point would be?
2: Uh, sure. So the the mass is it, um, it's at the site of her previous operation of the breast, and is it involving the skin, or is it more in the breast It's really a mass that's
1: sort of in the center of her prior mastectomy incision. So sort of the center of her prior mastectomy incision, there's a new mass that you had not noticed before. It's about a centimeter in size um, in the skin slash subcutaneous tissues.
2: Okay. Is there any um, skin color changes associated with that?
1: Uh, it's a little red, just a, just a tiny bit red, but otherwise, no.
2: Okay. Um, so I think the, the And she did get radiation after her lumpectomy? She did not. She did not. did not. Okay. Um, so I, I would mostly be worried about a recurrence of her breast cancer. Um, and if this is palpable but not seen on imaging... Um I would attempt to do a core needle biopsy in the office.
1: Okay. Um, it, there was no imaging of the left chest wall. She had her mammogram on the right side, which was normal. But
2: oh, I'm it, sorry, I misunderstood no. then.
1: That's okay. that's okay. But, she had a mastectomy- um, did you want to mastectomy- get some imaging mastectomy- of the chest wall or no?
2: No, I don't think so. So she had a mastectomy on the left,
1: is that she had a correct? mastectomy? She had a mastectomy okay. on the left, and this is a mass that's now in the mastectomy incision. She never had any reconstruction. She never had okay. any radiation. I, Sorry about
2: that. Um, no, that's all right. That was my mistake. So um, I would definitely be most concerned about recurrence. And the other thing in this situation would be um, radiation associated with angiosarcoma, but she didn't have radiation. So I think... Uh, recurrent breast cancer would be my um, top differential Um, and like I said if it's um, if it's palpable um, and it's um, after a mastectomy I would counsel her that I'm concerned that this is a recurrent um, mass and could be cancerous and I would recommend getting an ultrasound and uh, and biopsies.
1: Uh, You want the radiologist to do the ultrasound and the biopsies
2: if they can see it on
1: ultrasound? Yes, I would. Okay, fair enough. So, ultrasound does confirm that there is a uh, centimeter mass in this area. So, they go ahead and perform an ultrasound-guided fine needle aspiration biopsy. And unfortunately, this does confirm your fears that this was recurrent invasive lobular carcinoma.
2: Okay. Uh, So, I'd see her back in clinic and discuss the pathology results. Um, and I would recommend to her going to the operating room for an excision of that recurrent mass uh, with the overlying skin um, uh, to um, reduce the uh, chance of spread. And when I did my exam, was there anything in the axilla? Um, because she did not have uh, an axillary node dissection, I don't believe, in the past, Correct. Right now, she had a sentinel lymph node biopsy that was negative, and your axillary exam is normal. Okay, I would have also had them ultrasound the axilla um, with the uh, biopsy. I don't think I said that.
1: No, but they uh, they added it on anyway, and uh, it was okay. negative. There's no there's no
2: palp- there's no visible adenopathy in the axilla. Okay. Um, so I would I would recommend um, taking her to the operating room for excision of that um, recurrent. Uh, Mass.
1: Okay. Um, So you take her to the operating room, and you widely excise this, um, uh, mobilize the skin, close, everything goes well, and you get back a report that says uh, that it is invasive lobular carcinoma, Um, it is still ERPR positive, HER2 negative, and the margins are um, negative. What would you recommend for her at this point?
2: I would recommend that um, she be seen by medical oncology uh, for consideration for adjuvant chemotherapy um, and continue on her uh, tamoxifen or anti-estrogen therapy and also see um, radiation oncology for consideration for uh, radiation. Okay. What
1: about her lymph nodes? Are you satisfied that you've interrogated them well enough?
2: Um, well, given that he's already had a uh, mastectomy on that side, I'm not sure that a sentinel lymph node would be very accurate. And if the ultrasound shows no um, obvious lymphadenopathy, um, I would be satisfied with that.
1: What if I told you that the ultrasound did show a uh, one-centimeter node with a slightly regular cortex?
2: Um, I would have them do an FNA under ultrasound of that. And if it came back positive? I would recommend, given that this is uh, a recurrence of her cancer, that we would perform an axillary node dissection at the time of the operation for the uh, local recurrence. Okay, excellent. Very good job.
1: Um, A few things. Um, Overall, I think you have the general idea. Uh, you have, want to have a high suspicion of any mass within the mastectomy incision. After a mastectomy, that's the most common location for a recurrence. Um, I, the ultrasound, you know, it can be obtained. I don't know how useful it is, but you certainly want to biopsy it um, as the <laughs> first step. Uh, core needle biopsy is a little tricky in this situation. Fine needle aspiration biopsy is an excellent test to rule out recurrence. So a fine needle biopsy is a very good choice.
2: Okay. Um, so in the recurrent setting, you do more FNA than core needle biopsy? Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm really looking to just differentiate a lot of times scar versus cancer. And that's especially true in patients that may have had radiation therapy. Um, in this case, she didn't. But yeah, an FNA is a very, very good test. You can do it quickly in the office, get an answer uh, that day really, um, uh, or the next day uh, in terms of recurrence. Now, if you have a high clinical suspicion and an FNA comes back negative, I think it's really important to understand that fine needle has a false negative rate. And so one of the areas where a lot of times on the orals they'll try to trick you is they'll say, okay, the fine needle comes back negative. And you want to make sure you say, well, you know what? I still have a high suspicion. I would recommend just an excisional biopsy to be absolutely sure. There's a lot of situations where that may be the case. But in this case, uh, the FNA is highly accurate. Um, I think your understanding of the management, of chest wall recurrence uh, was excellent. In a patient who has not had prior radiation, the idea would be to do a wide excision if possible um, followed by now post-mastectomy radiation. Um, chemotherapy, we have studied this, is it worth doing when patients have a recurrence? Uh, the data suggests that there is a small benefit but in a patient like this who um, has now had a recurrence, hasn't had prior chemotherapy, I think all of that is excellent. I, I don't think on the orals they want you to know very much about, you know, when you would recommend chemotherapy or not, but I think it is important to know that wide excision and radiation is the treatment for the um, post recurrence. The one thing that you missed that is an important point on this question is the same one as the inflammatory breast cancer question, uh, staging. Okay. So we always obtain staging in patients who've had a chest wall recurrence after a mastectomy. Data would suggest, as a rough rule, one-third of those patients have concurrent distant disease. One-third will develop it, and one-third won't. They'll be cured by the re-excision and the post-mastectomy radiation. So it is a poor prognostic sign when somebody has a post-mastectomy recurrence um, or a chest wall recurrence. Uh, and typically, we do recommend staging these patients as well. So we talked about the locally advanced and the inflammatory breast cancer. This is another situation. People also recommend getting staging in patients who've had in-breast recurrences after breast conservation. That may be a little bit more debatable, but for a chest wall recurrence, it would really be sort of standard to order staging. So the one thing is I, I would have probably gotten a CAT scan of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis, and a bone scan in this patient um, before um, the operating room. In terms of the lymph nodes, uh, I think what you did is very sound, very safe. Um, I don't think sentinel node biopsy is absolutely necessary. Uh, And I will tell you that there are many institutions, such as my own, um, that we do perform sentinel lymph node biopsy, and we found it to be um, useful in in this situation. Uh, But a lot of times, you're right. It doesn't go to the axilla. Um, Sometimes it goes to uh, other nodal basins, the internal mammary, the neck, even contralateral in patients that have had surgery. Um, But it actually is um, effective in a lot of cases of a post-mastectomy recurrence. And so some institutions will do it. Some institutions don't. I think your answer is perfectly safe. I think you did the right thing in getting an ultrasound of the axilla. That is an important step. And make sure that that's negative. And I think you're completely correct if there's any abnormality there. FNA. And if the FNA is positive, then the patient needs both excision of the recurrence and an axillary lymph node dissection.
0: Great. Uh, one thing I'd like to point out, I thought Justin did well, is uh, when, if you get to a certain point in a question and realize you didn't, you know, f- you know, complete the initial workup that you wanted to, it's not too late and to just add it on. And, you know, generally that will save you um, and you'll still get those points from what I understand.
1: That is absolutely so, true. There's no point of no return. If you went back and said, you know what, I, I would definitely have gotten staging in this situation uh, I hadn't mentioned that, but uh, then it, that's that's perfectly fine. Great. Now, now Great. one question that you said you would be concerned that if she'd had radiation, this could be a radiation-induced sarcoma. And I would say, yes, that's always got to be sort of in your mind. But what's the latency period for radiation-induced sarcoma? Uh, it can be pretty variable, but it's usually a pretty late presentation. Right. It's usually 7 to 15 years. So four years would be a little quick to think about radiation sarcoma, but it's always got to be in the back of your mind in any patients who's had radiation.
0: Great. Um, well, I th- thought that was a fantastic review. Um, and actually you answered a lot of the, the questions that I had, uh, regarding, uh, lymph node status and sentinel nodes that I was going to kind of try and review at the, uh, the end of this episode here. Um, Justin, is there anything that sticks out to you? Uh, that trips up residents um, when it comes to breast cancer?
2: Yeah, I think um, I think the topic of breasts is, is tough because there's all these trials and all these things that are always changing. I know just in the, I've been a resident for seven years, the, the different times I've rotated on the breast service, it seems like there's always something new that people are talking about. But I think for me, starting to study for the boards, I've tried to just simplify things as much as possible, um, and I think really, uh, like we talked about before, other than Z11, I've just tried to keep it simple and not worry too much about um, all the nuances. And I, because I think the purpose of the oral boards is more just to make sure that you're safe and doing appropriate things, so I don't, I don't think knowing. Um, really specifics of newer trials is probably critical to answering the, the breast question on the oral boards, although I have not taken it, so I can't say for sure.
1: No, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's important. You're right when you say the purpose of the oral boards is to make sure that you're safe and that you're not doing the wrong thing, that you know how to manage complications, that you're not um, way off from what would people would call the standard of care. It is confusing. Uh, You know, you see it as you keep rotating back onto surgical oncology and things have changed. We're going through a lot of changes right now in terms of neoadjuvant chemotherapy, how to manage the lymph nodes. Do you do a timing of the sentinel lymph node biopsies? What do you do in the clinically node-positive patient? I think all of it is fascinating, but not anything you need to worry about. I don't think there's many clinical trials that you really need to be obsessed about. The only exception, as I said before, is Z11 because that really has changed management. We do not do sentinel uh, complete node dissections in all the sentinel node positive patients anymore. And that's something you definitely don't want to um, make that mistake on the oral examinations. Um, but otherwise, um, I thought you guys both did an excellent job. Great.
0: Um, well, we really appreciate it. And we actually, we'd love to have you back on the podcast to um, discuss some of the newer nuances of uh, the breast cancer trials and, uh, you know, for the people that are interested in uh, the most up-to-date and newest information rather than just oral board studying. Yeah, so absolutely. hopefully you'll it would be my pleasure. join us again. Um, thanks, Justin, for uh, volunteering on Twitter to join us today um, and uh, tackle some breast cancer topics as you're about to become a pediatric surgeon. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I juvenile think resident-
1: fibroadenomas and uh, <laughs> secretory carcinoma of the breast can occur in
2: the juvenile population. Yeah. Uh, great. Well, thanks, for, well, thanks for having me. And uh, I'm a big fan of the podcast, so keep up the good work.
0: Great. Thank you. And uh, thank you again, Dr. Sable. And we look forward to having you on the podcast again in the near future. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thanks.
2: Until next time, dominate the day. We'll <laughs> be